I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts the Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. A warm up for Lilo. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Houston Family of Podcasts, and we've got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. going to be joined by Lauren Campbell. She does a great job with the Lockdown Red Sox podcast, and on top of that, she does great work over there at Nesson covering all things Boston sports. I know that she does a great hockey podcast as well that I'm going to mention in the second segment, but we're going to be talking with her about this Yankees versus Red Sox rivalry, sort of the state of Boston as well, and we're going to be taking a look at the current American League playoff picture, how critical some of these series are that we're seeing both this weekend and coming up next week as well. So we're going to have a great chat with Lauren in the second segment, then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks in and out. And every game on the betting board for this MLB Sunday as we touch them all. First things first, always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. And we've got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUNIT underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters here. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way, it is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Really did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we had a great day of baseball on Saturday. Let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get you to know these teams a little bit better. Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. We wound up seeing the Cleveland Guardians fall to the Toronto Blue Jays by a count of 2-1. to one. Guardians, they wind up striking for a run in the first inning, and then from there, nothing. Tristan McKenzie, a little bit of a tough luck loser, 
gives up two solo home runs over the course of six and two-thirds innings. Going deep for the Jays, Matt Chapman, who has been very hot, by the way. He winds up getting his 23rd home run of the season, and for Matt Chapman, he has been hitting right around a 325 over the last 35 days, and Teoscar Hernandez, he gets his 17th home run season. For Mitch White, one runs for 104 and two-thirds innings, and then the bullpen, which has really been good for the Blue Jays. Top eight in the league in terms of ERA over the last 40 days. Zach Pop, pair of outs out of the bullpen. Adam Simber, pair of outs out of the bullpen. Yumi Garcia, pair of outs out of the bullpen. Anthony Bass, a full inning. And Jordan Romano, one and a third innings. All went scoreless from there. And for Cleveland, lone form of offense. Andres Jimenez, the RBI that he had in the first inning is Angel de los Santos. Also able to give the team one and a third inning scoreless. He wound up seeing the Tampa Bay Rays be able to take down the Baltimore Orioles by a count of 8-2 to two as D.L. Hawley winds up making his major league debut. Probably shouldn't have gotten sent up to the big leagues. He was averaging more than five walks per nine innings at AAA Norfolk. And he winds up giving up five runs in three two-thirds innings, three walks along the way. And then Spencer Watkins, who many people thought was going to get the start, he winds up coming in in long relief. He gives up three runs in three innings. And he allowed a home run to Taylor Walls, sixth home run of the season. For Baltimore, you do wind up having Brian Baker, Lende scoreless inning, and Lewis Head, a third of an inning scoreless and. For the Orioles, they do go 4 of 11 with men in scoring position. Problem was, they wound up having those men on second not be able to score. Shane McClanahan, not necessarily dominant, but still a little bit better than he had been doing in his last few starts. Two runs surrendered in six innings after he had allowed a combined nine runs in his last two starts. From there, you do wind up having Colin Pooch, Pete Fairbanks, Jimmy Yacobonis. All lend a scoreless inning for the Miami Marlins. Their offensive woes continued as they anchored into the day having scored three runs or fewer in every game in the month of August and it continued in their double dip against the Atlanta Braves. As the Braves, they wind up getting it done in game one by a count of five to two as Kyle Muller winds up getting the start and, well, the Miami Marlins were mulling why they couldn't get more runs off of him. Two runs surrendered by him over the course of five innings as Asus Aguiar got his 14th home run of the season off of Muller and then from there, Jackson Stevens, two scoreless innings, Rossiel Iglesias, Conley Jansen, they both lend a scoreless inning in for Atlanta. Matt Olson, he winds being able to supply the boom. He winds up getting his 23rd home run of the season, and here's how it's going. Chadwick Trump, who wanted just getting called up to the big leagues, he had three hits and three RBI in this game. I believe his first of the season at the big league level for the Braves as Azul Cesardo gives up four runs over the course of five innings, including that bomb to Matt Olson. He did wind up getting a scoreless setting out of Eliezer Hernandez, Jeff Brigham, two scoreless, and Richard Blyer allows a run in an inning. And then game two, you know what? The Marlins, they wind up scoring two runs again as they wind up losing to the Atlanta Braves by a count of 6-2 in what was just a no-good, really bad, terrible day, which they wind up in this game, stranding the bases loaded as Ian Anderson, who has not necessarily had the world's greatest season, gives up two runs over the course of six innings, including Omer to Aces Aguiar again, 15th home run season as it was a bullpen game for Tommy Nance. Nance gets the start, gives up one run over the course of three innings for the Miami Marlins before A.J. Ladwig comes in for three and a third innings. He allows four runs, including two homers, going deep off of them for the Atlanta Braves. Matt Olson again, 24th home run season. Ronald Acuna Jr. gets his 10th and second home run in four days for Vaughn Grisham, his second career home run before for the Miami Marlins. You do wind up having Anthony Bender, Dylan Floro, combined for a scroll of setting and Oscar Brazobin. He won a game four punch outs, gave up a run along the way and for the Atlanta Braves, Dylan Lee, two scoreless settings before Kirby Yates and Rossio Glacius were able to combine for a scoreless setting to be able to get that one to the window as for the Miami Marlins. They wind up going one of six with men in scoring position in that one. The Chicago White Sox wind up taking it to the Detroit Tigers by a count of six of four as for Detroit. Two of seven with men in scoring position as Matt Manning. 
not throwing like Peyton or Eli. Ten hits and four runs surrendered over the course of five innings before Will Vest was able to give you a scroll saying he did have Joey Menes, Andrew Chafin combined for five outs and both wound up giving up a run apiece as going deep. AJ Pollock, sixth home run season. He winds up getting that off of Andrew Chafin before Jose Cicero was able to get it out of the bullpen for the White Sox. Lucas Chialito did complete seven innings but gave up four runs along the way before Rinaldo Lopez and Lee Mendricks both were able to lend a scroll of saying, DK Nation pick was the first push I've gotten all season long. Had the over in Angels versus Twins, and the Angels, they wind up powering themselves a victory by kind of 5-3 to three in 11 innings. They had zero runs going into the bottom of the eighth. Shoyo Tani gets a wall scraper to go his way. 26th home run season off of Yohan Duran, and then Taylor Ward provides a walk-off homer off of who else? Emilio Pagan, his 16th home run season. As for Pagan, he has just been terrible this season. Winds up giving up that home run, wound up pitching the 10th inning as well as he winds up allowing two runs, one of which was earned in his time as Ore Lopez. He winds up giving up two runs out of the bullpen in the 9th inning. And how we wind up getting the extra innings is Mangolia Sierra wound up hitting a ball in which the Minnesota Twins outfielder, I believe that was Gilberto Cicino, might have been Jake Cave at the time in left field, Dove for, miss, rolls all the way to the wall. He tried to get it inside the park homer and got thrown out at home as the Twins they had nobody but themselves to blame for this loss. They go 0-14 with men in scoring position with 14 men stranded on base. Carlos Correa did wind up getting a home run off of Reed Detmers. For Detmers, he goes five innings, giving up two runs along the way, including that homer. And then the bullpen of the Angels was actually really good. Jimmy Ergett winds up giving up nothing in his two innings of work. Aaron Loop winds up giving up a run in his inning. But Jesse Chavez, Jose Cuiata, along with Ryan Tapera, all provide a scoreless setting. And for the Minnesota Twins, Dylan don't call him Al Bundy. Against his former team, five scoreless settings. Griffin Jacks, Caleb Theobar, they combined for two scoreless settings. And Yuan Duran, he also did wind up allowing that home run to Shoei Otani in his inning of work. The San Francisco Giants held the Pittsburgh Pirates scoreless, 2-0. Final in this one as for Pittsburgh. Oh, seven with men in scoring position. And Tetler Beatty going up against his former team, the Giants. Gives up two runs over the course of three innings, including Homer going deep for San Francisco. Lamonte Way Jr., his sixth home run of the season for a Giants team that they went 1 of 11 with men in scoring position, but Logan Webb, he continues to be terrific at home. The Giants have lost just three home games in the last two seasons in which Logan Webb has pitched at home during the regular season. Eight scoreless from him, Camille Duvall winds up lending a scoreless setting out of the bullpen. And for the Pirates, Jace Young, two scoreless settings, and then Eric Stout and Dwayne Underwood Jr. They both combined to be able to lend three scoreless innings as well. The Yankees get it done against the Boston Red Sox. 3-2 to two the finalists for the Yankees. He did wind up having one of Frankie Montas, who did not wind up having a lot of luck with run support while he was with Oakland. Didn't have a ton here, but gives up just two runs over the course of five innings. From there, Scott Efres winds up getting the save as he winds up pitching a scoreless ninth. Aroldis Chapman, Lou Trevino, they combined for two scoreless settings, and Lucas Lukey was able to lend a scoreless setting as well for Boston. Cutter Crawford, not a bad start. He does wind up allowing a home run, two runs in total over the course of six innings as Zaire Kinnair Falefa gets his First home run season, he had all three RBI for the team as he also wound up having an RBI off of John Schreiber. That one coming in the ninth inning on a bunt single. So that was interesting. And Schreiber gets up that one run over the course of two innings. And Erikaz Sadamora was able to provide a scoreless setting as well as for the Red Sox. One of nine with men scoring position. Ten men stranded. That one costing them. The Colorado Rockies for the second time in the last 20 days. Get shut out at home, 6-0. New York's and the Diamondbacks wind up being able to get it done as 
You wind up having a pair of homers off the bat of Emmanuel Rivera. Be able to power the team to victory. Both come off of Jose Ureña. Ninth and tenth home runs of the season from Josh Ross. Also takes Urania deep. His seventh home run season as for Urania. Gives up those three homers, four runs in total over the course of six innings. Jake Bird, an unearned run, give it up in his two innings of work in Robert Stevenson. A inning out of the bullpen, he allows a run along the way. And for Arizona, Zach Allen just was masterful. Gives up two hits in seven scoreless innings. Noy Ramirez, Joe Mantiply, combined for a scoreless inning. And then Ian Kennedy, able to provide a scoreless setting of his own. The Walker Texas Rangers wind up taking down the Seattle Mariners just by a count of 7-4 of as for the Rangers, Dane Dunning looked to get her Dunning. Wasn't necessarily his best start. Gives up three runs over the course of four and a third innings. He did, though, have Matt Moore, Jonathan Hernandez provide a scoreless setting. Brock Burke uncharacteristically winds giving up a run, wound up giving up a home run to Annual Hinius. What has 19th home run season as he allows one run over the course of two innings and Brett Martin, he was able to provide a pair of outs out of the bullpen and for Texas. Corey Seager gets his 26th home run season. That comes off of one Monaco Gonzalez, who allows five runs over the course of five innings. Has been very touch and go with him all season long as he has now given up at least five runs in now four out of his last six starts as Ben Murphy from there gives up a run in an inning out of the bullpen. Chris Flexen gives up one unearned run over the course of his two innings, but Mariners who have been white out recently, unable to get it done here. Jacob DeGrom, he winds up getting it done one to zero. The Mets get the win from as you wind up having the trumpets out for Edwin Diaz. He winds up providing a scoreless inning in the ninth inning as he now has 27 saves as DeGrom. 10 punch outs, two hits allowed in six scoreless settings. Seth Lugo, Trevor May, they both give you a scoreless setting. This was one of the rare six and a half that I liked under and for good reason. Aaron Nola, he was on his game as well. Allowed an RBI single to Pete Alonso in the first and that's all he allowed in eight innings. Problem was, Jacob DeGrom was just a little bit better in this one. So the Phillies, they wound up going down after they had won, I believe, 13 out of their last 16 games coming into this one. The Astros blanked the Oakland A's. 8-0 the final. Lance McCullers Jr., who is not good in his rehab leading up to this. Six scoreless innings. From there, Phil Maton along with Brian Abreu both provide scoreless innings. Abreu, two scoreless innings. And Maton, one scoreless inning for Houston. Alex Bregman goes deep off of Zach Logue for his 15th home run season. For Logue, he had to carry the load, giving up six runs over the course of five and a third innings, including that homer, Domingo Tapia. He lost two runs in one and two-thirds innings before Kirby Sneed. Polishes up the eighth, not allowing a run. Did wind up having the Washington Nationals as very sizable underdogs get to the window against the Slam Diego Padres. 4-3 to three the final. Very controversial play at the plate. I think that there was some sort of a catcher's interference that allowed Washington to be able to get that one. That allowed them to be able to get the game-winning run as you Darvish gives up four runs over the course of six innings. And pretty much all of them wanted coming in the sixth and seventh innings as you wound up looking very sharp and then wore down late as you wound up having one of the best stories in baseball in Joey Manessis. He winds up getting home run number five of the season in 10 games. Career journeyman, 30-year-old, finally getting a shot at the big leagues. He looks solid. And Yadio Hernandez, he winds up being able to go deep for his ninth home run of the season as Anibal Sanchez is about 87 years old. He wound up giving up three runs over the course of five innings, allowing a pair of bombs of his own going deep for San Diego. Manny Machado, 21st home run season. Trent Grisham is 15th as the team. In San Diego, did wind up allowing 13 men to be stranded on base as Steve C. Sheck, Kyle Finnegan, Hunter RV, Carl Edwards Jr. all provide a scroll of setting to be able to get the win. And for 
Favorites of right around minus 300 or greater. They're hitting at a relatively solid clip. Going into the middle part of last week, they were at 28 and 16. I believe that they're now something like 30 and 17, might be 31 and 17, but you bet $100 on every one of these favorites of minus $3 or more on the money line. You're right now down more than 500 bucks if you bet $100 on every one of them. So that's a little bit of an issue. What else was a little bit of an issue for the Cardinals was not generating runs. They lose to the Milwaukee Brewers by a count of 3-2 to two as for Milwaukee. Corbin Burns was very solid once again in this one. One run surrendered over the course of seven innings. From there, Taylor Rogers, Devin Williams, Matt Bush. All provided an inning. Bush gives up an unearned run in the 10th inning. Williams and Rogers both give a scoreless inning as the difference maker in this one in the 10th inning. The Milwaukee Brewers have Colton Wong and Hunter Renfro provide some runs with Renfro. An RBI triple and prior to that, Luis Urias in the 8th inning goes deep for his 13th home run season. That comes off of Adam Wainwright who, and he was great. He went a full 9 innings giving up that solo run and really nothing else. Giovanni Gallegos. In his 10th inning, he winds up allowing two runs, one of which is earned. That one being the difference in this one. Chicago Cubs go on the road. They take down the Cincinnati Reds. They were on to Cincinnati and on to win by a count of 7-2. Adrian Sampson only completes four innings, giving up two runs along the way, but bullpen at his back. Eric Yulman, along with Sean Newcomb, both give you two scoreless innings. Brandon Hughes, he's able to give you an inning out of the bullpen scoreless as well as made a trio of bombs the Cubs did as Fran Mel Reyes. Freshly acquired from the Guardians, his 10th home run season. Wilson Contreras, he gets his 17th home run season. And Ian App, he goes deep for home run number 10. As for Ashcraft, not great, not terrible. Four runs three, which were earned surrendered in six and a third innings. And then the bullpen, which has been terrible all season long for the Reds. And continue to be terrible. Luis Sessa, scoreless setting, but Ian Gabo gives up two runs in two-thirds of an inning. Ross Weiler, he allows one of those home runs in the course of his inning as well. You know, the Dodgers, they just completely tattooed the Kansas City Royals. 13 to 3, the finalists. They had 16 hits in this one, and for Los Angeles, they went deep into the bullpen in this one. Andreini allows two runs over the course of three innings, but bullpen at his back. Caleb Ferguson, Enzo Alberto. Yes, Enzo Alberto pitched once again for the LA Dodgers. He winds up landing a scoreless setting, and for Enzo Alberto, I think that he's now pitching like four different games as far this season. It's been very strange to say the least, but. He was able to do a solid job there. He did wind up having Reyes Vananta along Phil Bickford. Both provide four outside the bullpen. And Chris Martin does wind up allowing a run in one and a third innings. But for the LA Dodgers, all these home runs were their workings. As they wound up getting a pair of home runs off of Nicky Lopez, the position player. Joey Gallo, 14th home run season. Cody Bellinger is 16th. Both of those guys have been struggling all year. So they needed that confidence booster. But then Mookie Betts. 26th home run season off of Brad Keller. Keller allows one to Kevin Lux, his fifth home run season. He also allowed one to Will Smith, who got jiggy with it for his 17th home run season. Then you wound up having Carlos Hernandez given up to Max Muncy, his 14th of the campaign for Brad Keller. Eight runs and three home runs surrendered in three innings. Carlos Hernandez gives up three runs in three innings. Wyatt Mills has two scoreless innings before Nicky Lopez gives up a pair of bombs in his inning of work, both solo shots and for the LA Dodgers. They have now won 12 straight games, all by multiple runs, and among their 79 wins as far this season, 71 of them have wound up coming by multiple runs. And if you're taking a look at the game of baseball right now, we have been noticing that a lot of home teams have been laying a run in half. 
They've been a little bit unsuccessful on the run line thus far this season. But if you look at the last 30 days, it has been a little bit better for these home favorites. And especially straight up, these home favorites have been straight fire recently as they're 144 and 75 straight up in the last 30 days. That is a 65.8% hit rate. Meanwhile, in terms of being able to cover the run line, they've been able to do so in all but 35 of these instances. Favorites in general hitting at a 63.6% clip over the last 30 days. And overs have really been taking old 174 overs to 164 unders over the course of the past 30 days. And if you look overall for the season, we did have a little bit more of an under day on Saturday. 825 unders to 780 overs. That's 54... That's 51.4% to the under thus far this season. And home favorites, they are hitting a little bit over 60% for this season. 647 and 426 straight up. But among these 647 straight up wins, only 449 have covered the run line. 198 instances in which a home favorite has won but not covered the run line. So that's what we're taking a look at in Major League Baseball right now, trend-wise. And that's what we wound up getting on Saturday. Now let's take a look at the state of the Boston Red Sox and... Really, the American League playoff picture in general. We're going to be talking about that with Lauren Campbell of Nesson along the Lockdown Red Sox podcast next right here on the Baseball Winning Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Decent Family Podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast. To start listening. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. 
and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glazer Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here with you Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast and it is great to be joined by our guest as Lauren Campbell does an absolutely terrific job covering all things Boston sports over there at Nesson. You're able to catch her podcast, the Locked On Red Sox podcast, every Monday through Friday, wherever you get this podcast. She also does a great job with the Snipe and Selly podcast as well. That is a very good podcast as well as that one what dives into a little bit more of the hockey realm for those are fans of the Boston Bruins and so much more. And Lauren doing a terrific job following all these things on her Twitter handle. And I always try to get this one correctly, but it's la 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 Lauren with, I believe, four R's on Lauren all together. And Lauren, great to have you aboard. Thank you. 
thank you so much for having me back. I'm excited to talk some Red Sox. I am as well. And it should be interesting to see what we wind up getting in this series against the New York Yankees as we're doing this. The Saturday result, we don't know how that winds up going, but this is obviously a very crucial series for the Boston Red Sox because I think we both agree the second half of the season has not went the way that the Boston Red Sox would like. But being able to win a series here against the Yankees, which has been tough for the Red Sox, they've done great outside the division. In the division, it's been a little bit more of a slog. This could be exactly what they need to kick start and perhaps be in contention for that last wildcard spot now that the playoff field has expanded. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've said every week that every series is crucial, especially with how the second season, the second half of the season has gone. But a series against the Yankees to win this series would be would do wonders for the Red Sox and their confidence. So this might be the good time here, the Friday and Saturday matchups, to get wins for the Red Sox, get this offense going, and get some confidence back because this team does not have a lot of confidence right now. No doubt. had a really tough start to the second half of the season. And really the biggest thing has been, in my opinion, the bullpen, because you take a look at the last 30 days at the splits, the Red Sox bullpen, it is last in terms of ERA. Now, but that I think we both agree, it comes from that 29 to five game in which those runs were a product of Boston not pitching well, but at the same time, also a guy allowing an inside the park grand slam as well. So there's that aspect of it. But in terms of the struggles, how much do you pin on the Red Sox pitching and bullpen specifically as compared to the fielding, because I take a look at things and the pitching certainly has not been up to par, but I feel like these pitchers just have not been backed up by the best defense either. Yeah. I mean, the bullpen has been an issue essentially all season for the Red Sox and High and Bloom didn't get any bullpen help at the trade deadline. That remains the issue, but you know, the defense nailed it with that 29 to five game. That was just abysmal defense all around. The first base was a big issue too, but now with Eric Hosmer, hopefully that's kind of going to iron itself out defensively there. But you wonder if it goes back to the trade deadline when they didn't get the proper help needed. And this team didn't get better. They didn't get worse at the deadline. Then you trade away your starting catcher. So you wonder if this team in their head is just so mentally drained from not really knowing a direction that their defense, they're just kind of like, well, whatever. Like They didn't get the help in the bullpen that we needed. We're three, three and a half games out of a wild card spot at this time. There's still time to make these games up, but how good are we? And just the mental roadblocks now look like they're beginning to start with the inside the park Grand Slam. I just think that was so demoralizing for the entire team. It's been a really ugly second half, really like eight weeks, I feel like. It's just been ugly. Yeah, it has been really rough to take a look at, but also a team that's been having a rough go of it as well. The team that the Red Sox are facing right now is joining me on the podcast. We do have Lauren Campbell, and going into the series that we wound up seeing between these two bitter rivals, the Yankees, they had been 7-13 and in their last 20 games, and I believe losers of seven out of their last eight. How shocking has it been to see the Yankees struggle like this? Because every single team during the course of a baseball season, they're going to have their ups and downs, but you don't expect the Yankees to wind up losing seven out of eight games going into the series. And more importantly than that, it just feels like the pitching has taken a little bit of a step back as well, especially after they at the trade deadline made a little bit of a surprising move in trading Jordan Montgomery. I think it's a little bit shocking to see the slump come so late for the Yankees. And I've said before, I've said in like June, that this team could afford to have a little bit of a slump here. I wasn't really thinking two and eight in their last 10. And like you said, seven of their last eight, I wasn't necessarily thinking something that bad, especially where they made specific moves at the trade deadline that certainly bolstered their team. But 
you know, makes you wonder now, are they going into this little bit of, I don't want to call it a Yankees collapse by any means, but are they kind of sliding down now? Are they going to, to take the top spot in the AL East? And will they continue the slump against another slumping team? The Red Sox, they do have a little bit of momentum in their favor, finally winning a game and technically winning a series against an AL East team. But, you know, I think the Yankees picked a great time to start slumping and the Red Sox now can pick a great time to start turning things on. Going into the game that we're going to be seeing on Sunday, one of those guys that they've been able to get wins when he's been on the mound, but it has been far from impressive. That is Jameis Zatayan. He's going to be going up against who I think is going to be really key for Boston here in the home stretch of the season, and Michael Walker. How big is it that Michael Walker is going to be returning for that Sunday start? Because I don't think a lot of people had high expectations for Michael Walker. I'll admit it. I really didn't wind up having high expectations for him coming into the season because we had seen him with the Tampa Bay Rays. I know they had struggled a little bit with the New York Mets as well, but this looks like the guy that we wound up seeing towards like the mid-2010s when he was able to put up a double-digit amount of wins a few seasons with the St. Louis Cardinals. And I think him getting back in the fold for the Boston Red Sox, a team that we've talked about pitching has really been one of their big bugaboos, is going to be massive for them, not just on Sunday, but moving forward as well. Yeah, he could be a bit of an X factor going into the final stretch of the season. I actually watched him pitch in Portland, and while his line didn't look too bad. It looked pretty good. He did struggle a little bit with consistency. His pitches were a little low. Some were really high. He did get drilled in the foot on the second pitch of the game, but it didn't seem to impact him at all. But like I said, he could really be an X factor and somebody to really close out this series on a high note, maybe provide the bullpen some rest. You know, I don't want to call him the savior of this series or the savior of this team, but they they certainly could use a very healthy Michael Walker and the Michael Walker we saw in the first half of the season. And I feel like he's going up against the Yankees at just the right time as well as we allude to it. And then taking a look at some of the other series that we got this weekend is we do have Lauren Campbell does a great job over at Nessa joining me on the podcast. We've got a lot of critical series for the playoffs and two in particular out there in the American League, the Guardians versus Blue Jays series with the Guardians trying to track down that AL Central, the Blue Jays, as we know, they are right in the thick of the wild card picture. And then we've got a pair of other teams right there in the playoff picture and the Orioles and the Rays. And I take a look at both of these series, and I think that both are going to be very big keys as to what we're going to be getting in terms of the playoffs because you just take a look at the standings going into Friday. The Guardians, they were in the lead in terms of the AL Central. If they were to be not leading in the Central, they would still be not too far back in the playoff picture. And then in the wild card standings, Rays... They have that last playoff spot entering into Friday by a half a game over the Orioles. Twins one game out, White Sox three games out, and the Red Sox four and a half games out. And all these teams, I feel like, have had golden opportunities this weekend. And what we wind up seeing in these Sunday games, I think, is going to be absolutely massive. And I know that all these teams, sort of the four that I laid out, they're going to have a bunch of big games here in the next few weeks. Yeah, I mean, we talk about all the time going into the season how stacked the AL East is and how competitive the AL East is. And now you just look through the entire American League. It's insane. I mean, I don't think anyone had the Orioles in the playoff hunt. Who knows if they'll continue kind of this little fun run that they're on or if they'll eventually come back down to earth. But a half game out of a playoff spot is just absolutely insane to me, thinking back to what this team was at the beginning of the season. 
the Twins are right there. The Guardians, I mean, it's been such a fun American League, but also it makes it harder, even though there is that expanded postseason, it makes it harder for a team like the Red Sox, who any other year feel like they should be a contender, but are right there. But they could miss the playoffs here by easily a half game. Yep, and we were talking about it the last time you were on this podcast, about a month, month and a half ago. We were both mentioning, well, thank goodness, Boston has a bunch of games against the Baltimore Orioles towards the last month, a month and a half of the season. We are currently not saying that anymore. And just from covering this division, how impressed have you been by the Baltimore Orioles? Because I think we're both in agreement that we didn't wind up seeing quite this coming. But I mean, the more I take a look at this Orioles team, the more I'm becoming a believer that they can leap above say, the Tampa Bay Rays for a playoff spot, especially with how they've been playing ever since Adley Rushman got called up to the big leagues. Yeah, I mean, it's a very real possibility that the Orioles could make the postseason. I mean, as much as I don't like them beating the Red Sox, even though they lost to the Red Sox on Thursday, they've struggled for so long, and they've been incredibly patient. Their fans have been patient. And so it has been really fun to watch. You want every single team in your division to be this competitive. I mean, if the Red Sox can figure it out and the Orioles continue to build on this season, you have a very, very competitive, more competitive in years past, AL East with all five teams being in the playoff race. This is what makes baseball fun. Yes, it's been fun to beat up on the Orioles for the last few years. Yes, it's been fun to watch the Yankees choke away the postseason in the last few years, but baseball is so much more fun and competitive and even more fun on the Locked On Network when all these teams are right in the playoff race. I agree with you. And despite the fact that the Yankees have to go up against all these teams, it's really they and the Houston Astros that currently have the top record in the big leagues. And I meant to ask you this while I was alluding to the Yankees struggles as well. But when you take a look at the battle between the Yankees and the Astros, where would you peg these teams if they do wind up playing against each other? Because the more I'm taking a look at it, and I recognize that the Yankees have had just this brutal schedule. Meanwhile, the Astros, they've had the benefit of playing against teams like the Oakland A's, like they're doing this weekend, the Los Angeles Angels, Texas Rangers, list goes on and on. I'm starting to become a little bit more of a believer that the Astros might be that best team out there in the American League. I'm not sure if you agree or disagree with that, but the more I look at it, the more I've really been impressed by this Astros team, especially with the way that their bullpen pitching has been able to step up. And one of the issues I raised to you a few minutes ago with the Yankees, their pitching just seems to have regressed a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the Astros certainly have really held their own all season. I think they've been a threat, and a legitimate threat, a legitimate contender all season. And then you had the Astros announcing that Michael Brantley's undergoing shoulder surgery. He'll be out for the season. He hasn't played since late June, but... I just feel like in that time that he's been out, they've still been so unbelievably competitive and they're taking advantage of winning the games they should be winning when teams like the Yankees are starting to kind of dial it back and start losing games and be in the slump. They're taking advantage of seeing, okay, this team in our division and our American League here starting to kind of dial back a little bit. Let's let's turn it up because now this is our time to overtake the number one spot. Let's prove that we can do better than the Yankees in the postseason. So good on the Astros. It's been, they've been just a force all season. I agree with you. And you mentioned the Michael Brandley injury. They did a good job of being able to help out with a little bit of depth as well. At the trade deadline, we were talking about the Orioles. They pick up Trey Mancini and he gets like three home runs in his first six games. So go figure the Astros making a good move at the deadline. Where have I seen that before? But Lauren, you're doing absolutely incredible work and, I know you hold it down in a wide variety of areas over there at Nesson. You do the Locked on Red Sox podcast, which people can hear 
wherever they get this podcast. And I know that you've got a lot of other irons in the fire as well. So let the good people at home know what's on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, follow me on Twitter at Lauren, three laws, Lauren with four R's, the Lockdown Red Sox podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The Ness and Bruins pod will be relaunching very shortly. We're on our off-season hiatus. So that will be on your airwaves very, very soon. A ton of Bruins stuff to look forward to in the next few months. And all my written work right on Nesson.com. Much like the Bruins pod, a lot of season preview stuff upcoming. Always a lot of Red Sox stuff. And now the Patriots. We're a full swing with the Patriots. So it's going to be a lot of a lot of fun, a lot of written stuff in the next few months. So be sure to check out all of that stuff. You mentioned that preseason football is back in our lives. Well, hopefully we can wind up getting a little bit of something out of Boston College as well when it comes to college football. But hey. Those are fans of betting on preseason football. The New England Patriots were able to cover that first game as line was three. They lose by two. So there is that. It's going to be a very good NFL season out there in the northeast part of the country. It's a great baseball season as well. Lauren covers all that and so much more and always does a great job on this podcast. A big thanks there for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Beast Family of Podcasts. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. We give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Sunday as we touch them all. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, 
Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glazer Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer Podcast. To start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beast Family Podcast and it is always great to get Lauren Campbell board. She does a great job over there at Ness and take a look at all things Boston sports. And then on top of that, Locked On Red Sox podcast as well. You're able to find that wherever you get this podcast. 
been a little bit better for the Boston Red Sox first few games of the series against the New York Yankees. So should be interesting to take a look at them and really the entire American League East moving forward. And Lauren doing a great job being able to take a look at the Red Sox and really the whole game of baseball. So a big thanks, sir, for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time to podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Sunday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. You note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNN underscore 81. Keep in mind that we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation, or this is where we wind up going with the National League games first, then the American League games, any interleague games. Those are going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. So, without further ado, we are going to get started with 9:51, 9:52 on the bank board. The Slam Diego Padres. They throw. They're going to be facing off against the Washington Nationals. Paulo Espino is going to be going. For the Nats and Blake Snell is on the bump for the Pods. Nine is your total over and under both at minus 110 with the Padres. Very, very sizable favorites here. Anywhere between minus 245, minus 255. Between plus 215 and plus 220 is your price on Washington. I'll just give you the run line right now. We're finding the Padres minus 155 lane run and half. And minus 155 is pretty much a max I'd be willing to lay the run and half on. But... I'm going to lay minus 155 on a run and a half with the Padres. I would need at least a plus 240 to take a shot here on the Washington Nationals. So that leads me to take the Padres here with Espino. He actually hasn't been overly bad for the season with a 404 ERA. But the problem with Paulo Espino is that when he winds up being put into a starter's role, he's just significantly worse rather than when he is coming out of the bullpen. When he's coming out of the bullpen, he's actually been really good this season. But this is a Washington Nationals team that they flat out have no starters whatsoever. So as a result, instead of having a guy that is giving you right around a two-ish ERA, you've got a guy that as a starter has a 514 ERA in his 11 starts. And in his 11 starts, he has allowed 14 home runs and 49 innings. And right around 2.6-ish home runs for nine innings. Not terrific. There are 415 home ERA, 395 road ERA. But once again, significantly better out of the bullpen than he is as a starter. And then you've got Mr. Blake Stell, who He's had a rough go of it on the road as a San Diego Padre. As a matter of fact, his ERA is over two points higher when he's on the road rather than at home when he's been with San Diego. But you do take a look at Snell. And the team started out 1-8 and eight in his first nine starts. They've been able to turn things around. They are now 3-1 and one in his last four starts, and he's looked a little bit more sharp on the road. His last road start came against the Mets in late May. He wound up going five scoreless innings, got lit up in Coors, but that said, everyone winds up getting lit up a little bit in Coors Field. Start before that, gives up one run in five innings against the LA Dodgers. Still a guy that has been able to give you right around 11 punch shots per nine innings. Walks are an issue, a little bit over four walks per nine innings, but not too many threats of going deep for the Washington Nationals. In this one, they trade away Juan Soto and Josh Bell, and as result, you've got one guy with more than eight home runs who wound up being in the starting lineup yesterday. Actually, to Mikel Franco has nine, but Luke Voigt, 15 home runs. He's been solid, and you got a lot of guys just hitting between about a 230 to a 240 with Voigt, Franco, along with Victor Robles, Cesar Hernandez, Nelson Cruz, and then you have been able to have a really good story with the team and Joey Manessis. Four home runs in his first eight games. Career minor leaguer has been able to do a solid job. Keep at a wheeze. Has been able to find a way on base as well, but with the Padres, they aren't going to have Fernando Tatis Jr. this season, but they do have many Machado, Juan Soto, along with Brandon Drury, up between 20 and 23 home runs. Soto north of a 400 on base. 
Manny Machado after a rough July. He's starting to pick it up again in August. And then you've had Hassam Kim along Jerickson Profar in between about a 248 to 258 with Kim over the last 30 days. Doing a great job. Hitting about a 285 for this bunch. And then with the Padres, they pick up Josh Hader. It's been a little bit shaky, but Neville Chrisman is able to give you multiple good innings out of the bullpen. And Tim Hill has really been a revelation for this team after a relatively rough start to the season. This guy's not allowed to run in about 40 days. Meanwhile, for the Nationals, bullpen actually hasn't been overly terrible. Carl Edwards Jr., Steve Ciszek, Kyle Finnegan, a lot of guys with right around about a 3-3 to a 3-6-ish ERA. Victor Arano has been an albatross for this team, but Mason Thompson, when he's been out there, has been relatively solid. So this is fun, which I did want to say my draw at an 8.8. Keep in mind, this is going to be the Peacock game, so it starts at 9.05 a.m. Pacific time. 12.05 p.m. Eastern, so I do think that the Bats might be a little bit sleepier after they want playing a night game yesterday, so I'm looking at the under, and I'm going to be looking at the Padres laying run and after 9.53, 9.54 on the betting board. It is the Atlanta Braves on the road facing off against the Miami Marlins. Good old to be determined on the bump for the Braves, and you got Brex and Garrett, who's going to be going for the fish. This is a game that is currently off the board because it is TBD for the Atlanta Braves. The expectation for me is Spencer Strider because he wanted getting skipped on Saturday to be making this start. But if you don't wind up getting Spencer Strider, then you wind up putting yourself in a little bit more of a precarious spot. And if it is Strider, Braves are going to be north of a $2 favorite. I set them officially minus 218, minus 143 on the run line with Strider. If they do wind up having to draw it out through a bullpen game, this probably falls by at minimum 60 cents. So that is going to be a big quantum move because you take a look at Braxton Garrett and he's not been terrible for the Miami Marlins. The only problem is the offense literally has scored three runs or fewer in every single game this month. I mean, this man has got no run support whatsoever. They've scored three runs or fewer from in four out of his last five starts and he's still doing three in this stretch. Now, for Garrett, he has given up four plus runs in two out of his last three starts, but... By and large, give it up one home run per nine innings. Fewer than two walks per nine. He's getting 10 punch outs per nine innings. He's been doing his part. I mean, this is just a Miami Marlins team, though, that they can't get on base. Garrett Cooper finally wanted coming in off the injured list on a home run hitter, but guy that's able to move the line is he and John Birdie. You're able to throw in their Joey Wendell as well. In between about a 265 to a 275, and then they've had a little bit of production out of Charles LeBlanc, who's been eating a 400 in a very small sample size, but other than Aces Hagiar, you don't have anyone in this lineup with a double-digit amount of homers. It's been really sad to take a look at him for the Atlanta Braves. You've got Dancy Swanson, Austin Riley, Michael Harris the second, all in between about a 290 to a 300. Riley has went deep 30 times as far this season. Matt Olson, he winds up supplying another bomb. He's been a little bit up and down this season, but he's now been able to get seven home runs over the last three days. He's got 23 on the campaign. Ronald Acuna Jr., 360 on base. And this is an Atlanta Rays bullpen that it ranks second in the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA. They did wind up having to use up some bullpen pieces yesterday. And if you don't wind up having Spencer Strider out there, that is going to be hurting them a little bit. But with that said, you still have been able to get some really good innings out of A.J. Minter is busting up right around 2.5 ERA. Jackson Stevens wound up having to throw in the double dip yesterday, but he only both guys with a sub-275 ERA, so they've been able to do a good job of holding it down. Rossi Iglesias has come in. He's been able to refine himself a little bit as well. Kirby Yates, he's a little bit of a reclamation project. Let's see him as well for the Miami Marlins. Dylan Floro, Richard Blyer have not been bad, but they're really going to need length here from Mr. Garrett because they wound up having to use a bullpen game started by Tommy Nansen game two yesterday, so it's not too terrific. You've got a bullpen that is completely tasked, so you're going to be looking to try to be able to get as many innings as humanly possible out of Braxton Garrett, and I think that he's going to 
going to be able to do a, a great job. And you do have a spot in which, if it is Strider versus Garrett, six and a half or less, I'd be looking at the over on the total seven or higher to the under. If it winds up being pretty much anyone else for the Braves, it would be a seven or less to the over, seven and a half or higher to the under. And this is a spot in which, with Strider setting the Braves at a minus 218, once again, without him, it varies a little bit, but probably staring at about a 60 to a 65 cent difference. So just want to throw that out there right now. 955-956 on the main board, the Philadelphia Phillies to throw it face off against the New York Mets. Chris Bassett as you line and sinker for the Mets and Zach Whelan and Dylan Wheeler is going to be on the bump for the Phillies. The Phillies are underdogs anywhere between plus 115 and plus 120. Meanwhile, the Mets are between minus 130 and minus 135 favorites. Seven is your total. The over is minus 120 and the under is even. With that said, I was willing to take him up to a minus 133. So I'm going to be taking a look at the Mets at right around a minus 130. I've been very impressed by Chris Bassett, the way that he has been able to rally here the second half of the season. Wound up having a couple of rough starts to begin the campaign, but has always been able to do a solid job of being able to keep the walks down and has been able to do a good job of being able to rein it in a little bit more with the deep ball, especially at home. City Field, one of the more pitcher-friendly ballparks out there in baseball. Bassett overall for the season, just a little bit over a home run per nine innings, both home and road. But you take a look at what he's been able to do at City Field, 272 ERA, six home runs given up in 72 and two-thirds innings with opponents saying just say 218 off of them. Strikeout numbers, they're a little bit down from previous years, but still right around nine punch outs per nine innings. Meanwhile, for Wheeler, he's been able to get a little bit closer to 10 strikeouts for nine innings, but he has had his struggles on the road as at home he's got a buck 57 ERA, 388 ERA on the road. Certainly not terrible, but still not quite what he's doing at home as he's giving up a little bit less at home run for nine innings. He's been able to keep the walks down as well, giving up right around two walks for nine innings, but opponents are going to get 252 off of him when he is on the road rather than a buck 86 when he is at home. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, they have been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Kyle Schwarber. That winds up putting them behind the eight ball in terms of their power as only guy in the starting lineup yesterday. With north of 13 home runs, Reese Hoskins. Now, you do have guys that are able to get on base for the team as Nick Cassianos, JT Rimuto hitting between about a 255 to 265. Derek Hall, he's been able to get a home run every about 13 and uh, 13 and a half at bats. He's hitting at 275 in his limited sample size. And Reese Hoskins, he's done a good job of being able to supply the boom as he has been able to unlaunch 24 home runs thus far this season. So, has been very impressive from him. And he's been able to do a good job against both righties and lefties to his credit. Against righties, the batting average does wind up falling a little bit, but certainly has been able to do a solid job just being able to put bat to ball, which is going to be very important moving forward as you do have guys like Brandon Marsh, Matt Beerling, Bryson Stott at the bottom of the fold, hitting a 230 or lower and for the bets. Not a lot of weaknesses when it comes to this lineup. Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso both have north of 80 RBI right now. Both of these gentlemen hitting at 270 or greater with Alonso going deep 29 times. Daniel Vogelback has been able to give this team a very nice presence ever since he wanted coming over to New York. He has really been able to find himself once again as he's been hitting well above a 300. That has been massive for them. Brandon Nimmo, he has been able to hit about a 265-ish. has been a little bit touch and go with him, but Taylor Naquin has been able to give this team some nice at-bats as well. He's already got a few home runs with New York, and then you take a look at this bullpen. Michael Givens, it's not been a great pickup for this team, but you've had Adam Adovino do a very solid job. Edwin Diaz, the trumpets come out whenever he's on it. He always locks it down. The big thing is, you need Seth Lugo to be a little bit of a better bridge, and he has been over the last three days. Buck 86 ERA, I think that that's going to be massive for a Mets team that over the last 45 days, they have been in the top 10 in terms of bullpen ERA, and ever since the firing of Joe Girardi, Phillies have really been able to lock it down with their bullpen. Brad and Sir Anthony Dominguez, both of these guys have been able to 
do a solid job under the radar. Connor Brogdon has a sub-2 ERA. Corey Knable has been solid in that seventh inning role. David Robertson, he's been able to do a nice job as well. I do think that once you wind up getting down to a 7, it's just a little bit too low. I did wind up setting my total at a 7.2 with these lineups, so I'm willing to take a look at the over. And with the Mets, one to lay up to a minus 133 with them. 957, 958 on the betting board. It is the Chicago Cubs on the road facing off against the Cincinnati Reds. We're on to Cincinnati, and they're on to Justin Dunn. Open a getter done. For the Reds, and Keegan Thompson is on the bump for the Cubs. Cubs are between minus 135, minus 140 favorites. Anywhere between plus 120 and plus 125, your price on the Red Legs. Nine is your total over is minus 120, and the under is even. I set the Cubs at a minus 178. I recognize that it's pretty lofty for this team on the road, but Justin Dunn is just a hot mess. In his minor league appearances this season, he was getting over five walks per nine innings, and for that matter, he's always had control issues, and if Justin Dunn can't wind up lending a lot of length, that means that a bullpen that has an ERA of north of five as a committee winds coming out, and that just leads to a really, really bad circumstance in Dunn's first start of the season. Did wind up allowing three runs in four and two-thirds innings at a pair of walks. Didn't necessarily have good swing and miss stuff. Meanwhile, you do take a look at Key and Thompson, and certainly has been a little bit different on the road rather than at home. 509 road ERA compared to a 240 ERA at home. Give it up eight bombs and 35 and a third innings on the road compared to three bombs and 63 and two-thirds innings at home. But I do think that he's going to be able to lock that down a little bit more with a Cincinnati Reds lineup that, we're going to call it what it is, it's a little bit gutted without Brandon Drury, Taylor, and Aquin and company. You still have guys that have been able to do a solid job for this team. Nick Senzel, Kyle Farmer, Matt Reynolds. I'm mean, between about a 245 to a 255, but they're currently dealing with Jonathan India being out of the fold. As a result, you've got guys like Aristides Aquino, Jose Barreto, who did wind up having a pair of home runs against the Milwaukee Brewers last week. Michael Papriski, guys like this that are in a T15 or lower out there. Donovan Solano has been able to get on base as well. And then for the Cubs, you've got your two main matchers and Wilson Contreras along with Patrick Wisdom, a combined 36 home runs entering into yesterday. And for Contreras, he and Ian App, both north of a 350 on base. C.A. Suzuki has cooled off a little bit, but he's been able to do an okay job of being reach base. Fran Mill Reyes is now in the fold for the Chicago Cubs. That should be interesting to see what he winds up doing. You've been able to have Nico Horner reach base. He's hitting a 300 and while the Cubs sold off a lot of pieces at the deadline from the bullpen, Anderson Espinosa has been solved for them. He's got a sub-3 ERA. You have to rely a little bit more on someone like a Sean Newcomb now, which that's not necessarily too impressive for this bunch, but you still have quite a few guys that are able to come in, do a solid job. Rowan Wick over the last 35 days, he's got a sub-3 ERA. And then on the flip side for the Cubs, got so many guys like Revier, Sim Martin, Hunter Strickland, Dodi Moretta. You're able to go down the list of guys that are untrustworthy when they're with the five ERAs out there in the bullpen. It's really Alexis Diaz and not a whole lot of lot else for them. So I do think that Keegan Thompson are going to be able to go out there, land a relatively solid start. I think that Justin Dunn is going to knock himself out because he just gives up too many walks. And I think that that's going to cause for a little bit of a calamity here. Set my total at a 9.8. I'm looking over with the Cubs. was willing to lay up to a minus 178 on the money line. On the run line, I was willing to lay a price, finding it at a plus 115. I'm going to take a shot on plus money, laying a run and half with the Cubs to go along with this total over. 959. 960 on the bank board. The Milwaukee Brewers. They're on the road. They're facing off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Miles Michaelis is going to be going for the cards. And Aaron Ashby is on the bump for the Brewker. The Brewker is anywhere between a plus 125 to a plus 130 underdog. Minus 135 to minus 145. Your price on St. Louis. A to Z total. The over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. And I needed at least a plus 145 to take a shot on the Brewers. One to lay up to a minus 144 with the St. Louis Cardinals. So I am in on them. With Miles Michaelis, he's just been a steady Eddie guy all season long. Not someone that's going to go out there, 
get a bunch of strikeouts as he gets a little bit over six punch outs per nine innings. And that's pretty much the exact opposite of Aaron Ashby. Ashby has been able to do a great job getting right around 11 strikeouts per nine innings. But with Ashby, he does wind up giving up right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings. And the big thing with him, the walks. He's got 14 more walks than Miles Michaelis, despite the fact that he is throwing 55 fewer innings. So that is a big giant issue. As Ashby, right around 4.3 walks per nine innings. Miles Michaelis, that is below two for Michaelis. He gives up right around one home run per nine innings, but he's also been quite a bit better when he has been in St. Louis rather than on the road. 248 home area. 559 ERA on the road with opponents hitting 70 points lower off of him when he's at home rather than on the road. And for Aaron Ashby, a 472 road ERA compared to a 360 ERA at home. So that's a bit of an issue with opponents hitting nearly 90 points higher off of him when he is on the road for the Milwaukee Brewers. The good news is they do back him up with a few guys are able to go yard. Roddy Tellez, Willie Adamas, he combined 45 home runs this season. And for Hunter Renfro, he's been able to go deep about once every 14 or so at-bats. You do have quite a few guys in that fold of, I would say, a 245 to a 255. Andrew McCutcheon, Hunter Renfro, I mentioned, Colton Wong, Christian Yelich, all guys are sort of in that fold. And then towards the bottom of the lineup, you do have Victor Carantini and guys like this hitting more around at 230 with a little bit of power. But for the St. Louis Cardinals, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, both have already went yard in this series. It combined 53 bombs for these two gentlemen. Goldschmidt right now the odds-on favorite to be NL MVP. And then you do need a few guys to be able to get healthy. Brandon Donovan being back full. That helps as he's hitting about a 280. It's been a little bit touch and go with Dylan Carlson and Lars Newtbar. They're both hitting about a 240. But you take a look at Mr. Newtbar and sounds very delicious for one. And for two, over the last three days, he has been hitting above a 300 with north of a 400 on base. Cardinals bullpen has been able to do a solid job all season long with Ryan Elsley posting up a sub-2 ERA. Genesis Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos have been relatively locked down guys. I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in Chris Strain being able to hold down the four for the team. He does have a little bit north of a 5 ERA. has been not necessarily so great all season long, but with that said, you still have someone in Packy Don who's able to give you multiple innings for the Milwaukee Brewers, Seven Williams. One appearance in his last 34 in which he's allowed an earned run. There were a few unearned runs mixed in there as well, but he's been able to do a nice job for the team. Matt Bush, ever since he's come over, that's been a little bit of a mess. Brad Boxberger, Hobie Milner, sub three ERAs out of these guys, but Taylor Rogers, Brent Suter, not necessarily getting the job done. Jason Alexander has been moved to the bullpen. He has not been great either, so I do think that the Cardinals have a nice leg up here. They've got a lot of firepower in the offense, so I did want to say my total at an 8.1, so here at the 8, looking over, and I'm willing to lay up to a minus 144 when it comes to the St. Louis Cardinals. 961-962 on the betting board. It is the Arizona Diamondbacks. They throw to face off against the Colorado Rockies. Ryan Feltner is going to be going for the Rockies, and Tommy Henry is going to be on the bump for the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks find themselves between plus 110 and plus 115 underdogs. Meanwhile, minus 125 to minus 130 of the price on Colorado. 12 and a half is the total over and under both at minus 110. And this is a rare case in which I'm willing to take a 12 and a half over. I set my total at a 12.8. This will be Tommy Henry's first time pitching at Coors Field. And I don't think it's going to welcome him too brightly. He's going up against a Rockies team that they get right around 1.2 home runs per game at home. 0.65 when they are on the road. And they hit about 40 to 45 points higher. When they are at elevation as well, you've got a Rockies team just full of guys that are able to just completely pound the ball. C.J. Crone, for instance, 23 home runs this season, and he's got 17 of those at home. You've got some massive home and road splits with someone like Randall Gertrick as well, sitting at 268 overall the season. But you take a look at him at home, hitting a 321 compared to a 203 on the road. I mean, it is very, very telling with these gentlemen. And then 
you do take a look at what you've got with this Rockies lineup, and you do have a bunch of guys like Charlie Blackman and Jose Iglesias who have had past success against the Arizona Diamondbacks as a whole, and for Arizona, you do have a bunch of ranks in the bottom six of the big leagues. In terms of batting average, though, you've been able to see a couple guys be able to pick it up. Ketel Marte, Jake McCarthy, Josh Ruas. These guys hitting between about a 258 to a 272. Christian Walker not doing a great job of being able to get on base as he, along with Carson Kelly, Geraldo Perdomo, Sergio Contra, Jordan Luplo, this goes on and on of guys hitting a 220 or lower. But for Walker, 26 home runs. This is a Diamondbacks team that they get right around 1.3 to 1.4 home runs per game when they're on the road compared to a little bit less than one home run per game when they are at home. Dalton Varsho wound up being out of the fold yesterday, but he's delivered 16 home runs. Has been rock solid there, but for the Diamondbacks, they are dealing with Kyle Nelson being out of the fold in this bullpen. He has been able to do a nice job all season long. Joe Mantiply has posted up a sub-3 ERA, but someone like a Kevin Ginkle, north of an 8 ERA. Ian Kennedy has been okay, but Noe Ramirez, Edwin, you said a guys like this, not necessarily so great. And for the Colorado Rockies, they've got a little bit of a lower bullpen ERA at home rather than on the road, but still leaves a little bit of something to be desired. Daniel Bard has been a little bit all over the place now. Nelson Lamette is someone that has been very good in his limited appearances thus far with the Colorado Rockies out of the bullpen, but Jake Bird, north of a 5 ERA, Carlos Aceves, he's posting up right around 428 to his credit. It's actually been quite a bit better over the last, we're going to call it, three weeks or so, but I do think that there's going to be runs of plenty here, especially with having a younger guy in Tommy Henry, who thrown 12 career innings at the big league level at the minor leagues. He was able to do a solid job, wasn't getting a whole bunch of swings and misses, but was able to lock down with his command. Five walks in 12 innings in his two starts against the Pirates and the Cleveland Guardians, so not necessarily the world's stiffest of competition, I think going to elevation is going to be hurting him. And then for Mr. Feldner, he's got a 6 ERA thus far this season. Has actually been a little bit better at home rather than on the road. The big thing for him has been the depot, giving up right around 1.6 home runs per 9 innings. His walks per 9 is only right around about a 2.7. He's been able to get a few strikeouts with nearly 8 punch outs per 9 innings. So I do give the leg up to the home team of Colorado. They've got some of the most advanced home on road splits out there in the league. So one lay up to a minus 136 with the Rockies. So my at 12.8 as well. So looking over to go along with the Rockies. 963-964 on the betting board. The Pittsburgh Pirates are on the road facing off against the San Francisco Giants. Alex Wood is going to be going for the Giants and Zach Thompson. It's on the bump for the Buccos. The Buccos are an underdog of an able team plus 195 and plus 205. Meanwhile, between minus 220 and minus 230, your price on San Francisco. 8.5 to 8 is your total. On the 8, the over is minus 120. The under is even. On the 8.5, the under is minus 120. And the over is even. And if you're looking at the run line, it is minus 110 to lay a run and half with the Giants. And I was willing to lay up to a minus 125 on that run line of the Giants. So that is where I'm going to be looking. Got a guy in Alex Wood that has been a little bit unlucky this far this season. You take a look at the north of 4 ERA and it just doesn't wind up adding up. He's been giving up right around a home run per 9 innings. His strikeouts per 9 rate, about an 8.8 to an 8.9, so he's been relatively respectable there. And to his credit, his ERA is a full point lower when he is at home rather than on the road. But the 417 ERA, it goes with a fielding independent of a 343. So I do think that things are going to iron out, especially with him only giving up right around two walks per nine innings. Meanwhile, you do take a look at Zach Thompson and has been a case in which he has been giving up a lot of hurt contact. The deep ball has been his main bugaboo as he does rank in the top eight in the big leagues in terms of home runs surrendered this year with 1.6 home runs per nine innings. He has a 508 ERA and a fielding independent that is higher than that due to all the hard contact, only getting right around 6.2 strikeouts 
per nine innings. And more concerning than that, right around three and a half walks per nine innings. Now, I will say this about Thompson. He had north of a nine ERA in the first month of the season ever since then. Has been a little bit better, but feels like after he wound up having a relatively good May and June, things have wound up sort of ballooning from there as in his last five starts. He has been only giving up three home runs in 26 and two-thirds innings, but with that said, has also posted up a 675 ERA. This is against competition that includes the Arizona the Diamondbacks, Milwaukee Brewers, and the Miami Marlins twice, so there are some big, giant worry spots there with how bad the Miami Marlins have been on offense this season. And then you take a look at bad offense, and you look no further than the Pittsburgh Pirates. As you do have Brian Reynolds, who's been able to give you 16 home runs. You had one other guy in the starting lineup, O'Neill Cruz, with more than five home runs yesterday. Michael Javis, he got the day off. He's been able to supply 12 home runs as he, Ben Gamble, are both hitting right around 245. Kevin Newman has been able to hit 265, but so many guys right now, pretty much the entire catcher spot aside from Jason DeLay, Rodolfo Castro, Diego Castillo, Gregory Allen, Yoshi Satsugo, Madreas. I mean, the list goes on and on of guys that are unable to get on base. And for the Giants, I just still don't know how this team is in like the top eight in terms of runs scored on a per game basis. And you do have quite a few guys sitting in between, I would say, about a 245 to a 255. And someone like a Jock Peterson, Thario Estrada, J.D. Davis. Estrada's actually more like a 265. Tommy LaSalle, also in that full Luis Gonzalez. He's been able to give the team a 265 average as well. But, I mean, for Jock Peterson, he's been able to go deep 17 times. He's been able to do a very solid job. And then on top of that, you've got one other guy has been able to give you more than 12 home runs thus far this season in Wilmer Flores, and that is about it. Got a lot of guys have had their struggles this season, like a Mike Ustremski, Brandon Belt, Joey Bart, whenever he's out there, Dixon Machado, they recently picked up Levante Wade Jr., hitting at 226 or lower, and this has been a brutal Giants bullpen as well as John Brevia, Camilo Duvall, Jarlon Garcia. These guys have actually been relatively solid, all these guys posting up in the ERA. That is a three or lower, so... Anybody able to do a nice job, but you've got guys like Thomas Zabucky, Tyler Rogers, list goes on and on of lots of trustworthy guys for the Pittsburgh Pirates. This bullpen is in the bottom five of the big leagues as well as you've got Will Crow, J.C. Young being able to do a solid job as long guys, but they wind up sending down Yuri De Los Santos. Colin Olderman has actually been halfway decent, but Eric Sout, Manny Benuelos, you have no faith in those guys whatsoever as well. I do think that both of these pitchers going to give up a little bit, but for Zach Thompson, he's really on a rough ride right now. I did want to say my total at an 8.1. I personally would rather have an 8 over rather than an 8.5 under just because on the 8, there's a good likelihood that you could wind up getting a push in this one and you could easily see Zach Thompson get completely blown up in this start. So I would rather have an 8 over rather than an 8.5 under, but we're going to see what winds up shaking out overnight. And with the Giants was willing to lay up to a minus 232 on the money line, if you're taking a look at the run line, minus 110, and I'm going to take a look at that run line. 965-966 on the bank board. The Cleveland Guardians are on the road facing off against the Toronto. Blue Jays as Kevin Gosman is going to be going for the Jays and Shane Bieber Fever is on the bump for Cleveland. Cleveland is an underdog between plus 120 and plus 130 between minus 135 and minus 145. Your price on Toronto 7.5 is your total. The over and the under are both at a minus 110. Swan lay up to a minus 152 with Kevin Gosman. Gosman has really good advanced numbers, has been able to do a terrific job of keeping the ball in the yard. In terms of qualifying starting pitchers, I believe that 
He's got the best home runs per nine rate of any pitcher out there in the big leagues. Now, it's been interesting to take a look at Gosman because his ERA is north of a 3-5 at home, right around a 2 on the road. I do think that that is going to regress a little bit. It's going to be reined in because he's been able to get 10.5 strikeouts per nine innings. He's giving up just 1.5 walks per nine innings. Now, Toronto is a little bit of a hitter's park. It's not necessarily an overly demonstrative hitter's park, but it is still a little bit more of a hitter's park. But he's got a 199 fielding independent compared to a 291 ERA. I do think that things are going to wind up reining in a little bit more, especially against the Cleveland Guardians team that they are second worst in terms of being able to take guys deep. Now, with regards to Gosman, he's been a little bit unlucky on balls in play. And the one thing that the Guardians do is that they do put the ball in play. They are having the fewest strikeouts of any team in the American League on a per FA basis. And you've just got so many guys that they do a terrific job of being able to move the line as you've got Jose Ramirez, Amid Rosario, Andres Jimenez, throw in there Josh Naylor, Stephen Kwan, all these guys hitting a 270 or greater. Oscar Gonzalez is in that fold as well. But you really don't have a lot of power outside of Jose Ramirez as he's been able to go deep 22 times. Josh Naylor, 15 home runs. But really, this is a team that they do a good job of being able to put the ball in play. And then on the flip side for the Toronto Blue Jays, you do have a very fearsome lineup that involves Matt Chapman and Vlad Guerrero Jr. combining for 46 home runs, 23 apiece. Chapman has been ending right around a 300 over the last 40 days. He has really been able to get hot with the bat they needed as well because they're currently without George Springer. They wind up picking up Jackie Bradley Jr. He is noted for his glove. He is not noted for his bat, but you have plenty of guys that are still able to move the line, like Lourdes Gurriel, Alejandro Kirk. Both of these guys hanging right around a 300, and then Remy Tapia after he had a rough start to the season along to Oscar Hernandez. Both of these guys for the season hitting above 270 over the last two months. Both of these guys hitting above a 300. And the Blue Jays' bullpen has been very underrated. Now, they had to burn through a lot of bullpen pieces yesterday. Jordan Romano, Yimmy Garcia, Anthony Bass all wound up having a pitch yesterday. And all these guys are posting up a sub-3 ERA. But you've had Adam Simber, who he also threw yesterday, threw 12 pitches up. He's been able to do a nice job with regards to this bunch. Trent Thornton has been able to show some signs of life as well. And then for the Cleveland Guardians... That's been a relatively solid bullpen of their own. As Nick Sandlin, Trevor Sivan, both of these guys have been able to provide a sub-3 ERA. Emmanuel Classe has been one of the most lights-out closers that we've seen in quite some time. So I do think that this is going to be a case in which we do see some relatively solid pitching. But the question is, what form of Shane Bieber are we going to be getting? Because there was a stretch in, I would say, June until very late July in which he wound up giving up three-plus runs and five out of six starts ever since then. He has really been able to rein it in. How about giving up two runs or fewer in four out of his last five starts? He still has been able to do a pretty solid job of being able to get swings and misses. A little bit over nine strikeouts per nine innings. And when he's been on the road this season, has been better than when he's been at home. 304 road ERA compared to a 351 ERA at home, though. He does wind up allowing a little bit over a home run per nine innings when he is on the road as well. So I did wind up setting my total at a 7.6. I think that 7.5 just a little bit too low here with these two offenses and the way that they put the ball in play. So looking at the over and with Toronto willing to lay up to a minus 152 on the money line, don't really want a run line here as I do think that it's going to be a relatively close game. 967-968 on the bank board. You do have the Baltimore Orioles. They hit the road to face off against the Tampa Bay Rays. That's Drew Rasmussen is going to be going for the Rays. And Jordan Lyles is on the bump for Baltimore. Baltimore between a plus 135 and a plus 142 underdog. Meanwhile, between minus 150 and minus 155 is your price on Tampa Bay. It is your total. The under is minus 115 and the over is minus 105. To wind up saying my total as 7.3. So I'm going to be willing to dive under. I was willing to lay up to a minus 146 on the money line of the Tampa Bay Rays. If you're looking at their run line, 
you're finding it anywhere between about a plus 135 to a plus 140. So this is going to be a little bit more of a wait and see case because I would need at least about a plus 145 to be able to take a look at their run line. And with the Orioles, I'm going to take them as long as I'm able to get more like a plus 145-ish right now. We're finding it at a plus 140, and I would suspect that we could wind up seeing a little bit of money coming on the Baltimore Orioles. So I'm a little bit TBD as to what we're going to be taking with regards to the money line, but... With regards to the total, I did wind up saying my total at 7.3. I've been very impressed by what we've seen out of this Baltimore Orioles bullpen all season long. They do wind up trading away Ore Lopez at the trade deadline, but you still got CNL Perez, Felix Batista, Keegan Aiken, Joey Creeble, Dylan Tate, all providing a sub-275 ERA. Now, the big fear that you got is that Jordan Lyles has been a little bit touch-and-go this season as he has got big home and road splits, 273 ERA. 570 ERA on the road with, out of his 18 home runs, 15 of them coming on the road. That is the big bugaboo that you've got, but when it comes to giving up the home run, one of the best teams that you can face is the Tampa Bay Rays, and one of the best ballparks is the drop, as the ball does not wind up traveling very well here. And do take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays team and Isaac Paredes along with Randy Odosarena. Their 14 home runs currently lead the way for this team. That is not too terrific as Paredes, Yu Chang, Roman Quinn, all these guys a 220 or lower, and then you've got guys like Jose Siri, Taylor Walls, who have been hitting below the middle line of 200, been able to get a little bit of something out of Francisco Mejia, Randy Orozarena, both hitting right around a 260. Brandon Lau hasn't been too bad for this team, and Yandy Diaz has right around a 385 on base, but certainly has been a far from terrific Tampa Bay Rays lineup in terms of getting on base. Meanwhile, for the Baltimore Orioles, good balance with regards to this lineup as you've got Ramon Urias along with Ryan Moncastle, Ryan McKenna, Anthony Santander, Adelie Rushman, Austin the Saves kid, all in between about a 250 and a 265 with Santander being able to supply 20 home runs. Mount Castle, 17 of them. Adelie Rushman has been hitting above a 300 over the last eight days, and Ode Mateo over the last eight five days. He currently also leads the American League in terms of stolen bases, but he's been hitting above a 300 in the science span as well. As we know, the Tampa Bay Rays they do a great job with their bullpen as Jason Adam has a sub two ERA. They've been dealing with that injury to JP Fireisen for darn near the entirety of the season, but Colin Pooch along with Brooks Raley both have been able to give you a sub three one. 5 ERA. Sean Armstrong hasn't been too terrific for this team, but Pete Fairbanks has come back. He and Jalen Beeks have been able to hold it down, and I do think that Drew Rasmussen is going to be able to lend a relatively solid start for the race. Has not necessarily been blowing guys away, getting right around 7.4 strikeouts per 9 innings, but has a sub-3 ERA and has been significantly better at home than on the road. 201 home ERA, 386 ERA on the road, giving up .6 home runs per 9 innings at home, and fewer than 2 walks per 9 innings when he has been at the drop as well, so I would need at least a plus 145 to take a shot on the Baltimore Orioles. Would need more like a minus 145 to lay it here with the Tampa Bay Rays, so I'm looking for essentially a 5-cent move either way, and when it comes to the total, set my total at 7.3, so looking under as well. We go 969-970 on the betting board. It is the Detroit Tigers. They hit the road. They're facing off against the Chicago White Sox. As Lance Lynn is going to be going for the Sox, and Tyler Alexander is going to be on the bump for Detroit. Detroit is a pretty sizable underdog. Any more team plus 170 and plus 175. Meanwhile, for the White Sox, you're finding them between minus 190 and minus $2. 8-8.5 is your total. On the 8.5, under is minus 120. The over is even. On the 8, the over is minus 120. And the under is even. I set my total at an 8.6. For one, you've got the White Sox righty and lefty splits. When they do wind up going up against a righty, they're still relatively solid at being able to get on base. This is a White Sox team that, by and large, as a collective, 
may have been able to really do a good job of being able to move the line as when he's out there, Tim Anderson, because he's been dealing with suspension and what have you, along with Luis Robert, Andrew Vaughn, Jose Abreu, all these guys hitting at least 8.295, and Eloy Jimenez has been able to come along for the ride as well, hitting nearly a 300 as the team hits 8.257 overall, but you take a look at what they wind up doing against lefties, this batting average winds up climbing to a 272 and their home runs on a per at-bat basis as well, that winds up going up north of 50%. Again, Southpaws as well, so I do think that that's important to take a look at, especially with the fact that you've got a White Sox team with a little bit of a power outage. Jose Abreu, Andrew Vaughn, Luis Robert, all between 12 and 14 home runs. These are the only guys that have been able to give you a double-digit amount of homers all season long. White Sox in the bottom six of the big leagues in terms of home runs on a per-game basis. Bullpen has been looking a little bit better for the team. Liam Hendricks, along with Kendall Grayman, have been your two most reliable guys, but... You've had Reynaldo Lopez provide a sub-3 ERA. Spent a little bit more touch and go the last few weeks for Jimmy Lambert, but he still has been able to give you a sub-4 ERA. Problem has been dealing with some injuries. Someone like Kyle Crick just has not been healthy all season long. That has really hurt them. And then you got guys like Matt Foster, Joe Kelly, Ben Albatrosses, and for the Detroit Tigers, the team ranks in the top six with regards to bullpen ERA. Willie Peralta has been able to do an amazing job. Joey Jimenez, Alex Lang, Andrew Chafe, and Jose Cicerno all providing a sub-3-3 ERA. Jason Foley, you're able to throw him in that fold as well. And Take a look at Tyler Alexander. He, in his last start, actually looked very solid, giving up two runs over the course of seven innings against the Cleveland Guardians, and for that matter, he has given up two earned runs or fewer pretty much in every one of his appearances, whether that be a start or coming out of the bullpen, since he did wind up coming off the injured list. So that has been able to give this team a very nice boost. Uh, Tyler Alexander, not a guy that's going to get a bunch of swings and misses as his strikeouts per nine rate, hovering in the neighborhood about five, but he's been able to do a good job keeping the ball in the yard, giving up fewer than two walks per nine innings. And then for the Chicago White Sox, Lance Lynn has been all sorts of terrible this season. He has given up at least three runs, I believe actually four runs, in seven out of his 11 appearances thus far this season. His home runs per nine rate is north of two. He's actually not been bad at giving up walks. Fewer than two walks per nine innings, and he does have a 472 home ERA compared to a 746 ERA on the road, but there's just not a lot of trusting this guy, especially with the fact that he's giving up well over two home runs in Chicago as well, but you do take a look at the Tigers lineup, and it is not good, to say the least, as you've got Avi Baez now in, in the neighborhood about a 225 with Jameer Candelario, Spencer Torkelson, who has now been sent down to AAA, Jonathan Scope, Akil Badu, Cody Clements, Tucker Barnard, Gary Carpenter, all these guys are currently hitting a 215 or lower. Riley Green has been okay for this. Emero Castro is able to move the line as well, but Avi Baez with his 11 home runs, most on the team, so that is a big giant issue in and of itself as well, though. I do think that Alexander could be able to lend a relatively solid start if there's anyone that could get this Tigers offense going. It is our good friend Lance Lynn. I did want to say my total as a result at an 8.6, so this is a rare spot in which I'm looking at a Tigers total over on the road as they're averaging right around 2.7 runs per game, but I think that lowly of Lance Lynn and with the Tigers, as long as I was getting plus 160 or greater, was willing to take a shot here. We are certainly there. So, looking Tigers and looking over. 971, 972 on the betting board. It is the Oakland A's are on the road facing off against the Houston Astros. Christian Avier is going to be going for the Strohs, and Cole Irvin is on the bump for Oakland. Oakland in between a plus 215 to a plus 230 underdog. Between minus 255 and minus 265, your price on Houston, it is the total. Over is anywhere between even and minus 110. The under, anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. And I made Oakland a plus 188 underdog. Anything north of a plus 190, I was willing to take a shot now. With Cole Irvin, he has certainly been better at home rather than on the road, as Cole Irvin has been absolutely masterful 
in the city of Oakland, posting up a buck 66 ERA compared to a 458 on the road. But by and large, it's been able to have a lot of success going up against the Houston Astros. It's given up overall for the season one home run per nine innings. He has given up 12 bombs and 53 innings on the road. I do think that there's going to be a little bit of positive regression, though. And he's only been giving up right around 1.6 walks per nine innings overall this season. But look at what he's been able to do against Houston. In four starts, he has allowed six runs over the course of 24 and two-thirds innings. So he's been able to do a nice job there with the team being able to get him personally two wins in those starts as well. And you take a look at what he's done over his last five starts. Buck 85 ERA, giving up three home runs over the course of 34 innings. So he's been really doing a good job of being able to fill innings. Opponents are a buck 78 in that time span. That's probably going to go a little bit upward as not much of a swing and miss guy. Only getting right around six to six half strikeouts per nine innings. But Domingo Acevedo, coupled with Zach Jackson, Sam Mall, AJ Puck, all these guys have had a 3-4 ERA or better for the Oakland A's. And then with Christian Avier on the other side, he's been having a little bit of a walks issue in the Astros have lost four out of his last five starts. Hasn't necessarily pitched terribly, but with that said, he hasn't necessarily been masterful either. Giving up right around 3.3 walks per nine innings. He's given up right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings. You take a look at what Javier has been able to do in Houston. Better than on the road. 260 home ERA, 380 ERA on the road, though. He has given up a little bit over one and a half home runs per nine innings when he has been at home. Good news is he is facing off against the Oakland A's and Seth Brown has been able to do a solid job for this A's team. He's been able to go deep 17 times and then you've got Ramon Laureano and Sean Murphy have been able to provide a combined 25 home runs as well, but among players that have gotten at least 25 at-bats thus far this season, nobody above a 244. Now, I will say for the Oakland A's, they've been able to have a little bit of a better batting average when they've been on the road rather than at home because of how pitcher-friendly it is in Oakland, but guys like Chad Pinder, Murphy, who I mentioned earlier, Elvis Andrews, Seth Brown, all these guys are in between about a 230 to a 240, and they're really your top hitters. Meanwhile, for Houston, they bring in Christian Vasquez. He's hitting right around 275 at the catcher spot. That has been very big for them. Yuli Gurriel has had his ups and his downs this season, but he, Kyle Tucker, Jeremy Pena, Alex Bregman, in between about a 245 to 255. You've got Bregman and Pena both being able to supply 15 home runs. Jose Altuve has been able to go deep about 20 or so times this season long. Kyle Tucker, Tucker hitting about a 250. You've had Altuve do a nice job of being able to move the line as well. And then Jordan Alvarez, 31 bombs. He's been able to hit a 300 for this bunch, but what's been really impressive for the Astros has been their bullpen. You've got Rafael Montero coupled with Seth Martinez throwing the Ryan Sanic. All these guys have been able to do a good job providing a sub-250 ERA. Will Smith, not necessarily too terrific, but Ryan Presley, he's been able to give a sub-3 ERA. He's got 20-plus saves out there in the bullpen as well. I do think that this is going to be a relatively solidly pitched game, but Christian Avier hasn't necessarily been able to do a great job in terms of length. Cole Irvin, he certainly has not been the same guy when he's been on the road rather than at home, and I do think that the A's going to be able to get a little bit of something generated after they wanted getting shut out yesterday. They did wind up saying my total at an 8.2, so looking at the over with the A's needed at least a plus one. They need to take a shot. Certainly have gotten there, so looking A's and looking over. 973, 974 on the banking board. The Seattle Mariners at third phase out against the Walker, Texas Rangers. As Martin Pettit is going to be going for the Rangers and Logan Gilbert is going to be on the bump for the Mariners. Mariners are slight favorites between minus 115 and minus 120. Even money to plus 105 is your price on Texas. Eight is your total. Under is minus 120 and the over is even. When it comes to Texas, need at least a plus 138 to take a shot. I really like what Logan Gilbert has been able to do this season and the big thing for the Seattle Mariners as well in terms of their offense is that they now have Julio Rodriguez back in the fold. He wound up being injured for much of what we wound up seeing after the all-star break. Getting him back means that they've got another big-time masher as he, along with Eugenio Suarez, both have 18 home runs thus far this season, then very much under the radar. Mitch Hanniger, who wound up having a little bit over 30 home runs last season, he is back 
in this Mariners lineup. So that really fortifies them. Hanniger overall for the season going into yesterday. He and Ty France were both hitting north of a 294. Sam Hegarty in limited at-bats has been very good being able to hit above a 300 as well. Adam Frazier over the last 40 days has been hitting well above a 300. Cal Raleigh only in a 210. He needs to work on that as he, when he's been out there, Lewis Torrance, Dylan Moore, these guys are hitting below a 220. But that said, for Raleigh, he has been able to give the team 16 home runs on 256 at-bats. And for the Texas Rangers, relatively balanced power. You do have your main masher in Corey Seager, 25 home runs, hitting about a 250-ish, and then you've got Adolis Garcia, Marcus Simeon, Jonah Heim, in between about a 242-255 themselves. Adolis Garcia along with Nate Lowe going into yesterday, combined 35 home runs. Jonah Heim and Marcus Simeon combined 30, but for Simeon, he had no home runs through about 40 games this season. He's now up to 17. He still has been able to swipe 19 bags. You've got someone like an Ezekiel Duran who's able to move the line. He's hitting at 250. You've had Charlie Culverson be a little bit more of a platoon player as yet to go deep this season, but hitting at 260. Big issue that you've got with the Rangers, though. Ever since the Joe Barlow injury, this bullpen has been a relative hot mess. Matt Moore, Brock Burke have both been able to provide a sub-2 ERA. Jonathan Hernandez in small doses has been relatively solid as well, but Garrett Richards has north of a 10 ERA over the last 45 days. John King has been posting up north of a 4 ERA as well. And then for the Seattle Mariners, over the last two months, it has been the top team in terms of bullpen ERA in the big leagues. You've been able to get really good innings. Out of Andres Munoz, Penn Murphy, Paul Sewald, Eric Swanson. You have a good on the list of guys with a sub-3 ERA. And then you've got a guy in Diego Cassio who's got a 3.82 ERA this season. But you take a look at what he's been able to do over the last two months. That is a sub-2 ERA. So... It's really been the Mariners putting it all together in terms of their pitching. And then you do have Martin Perez, who's going to be getting the start in this one. And he has been a rock solid for the Rangers in terms of not giving up the deep ball. He overall for the season, giving up in the neighborhood about .6 home runs per nine innings. He's been able to reduce the walks as well, giving up just over 2.2 walks per nine innings. has been relatively solid home and road as well. As a matter of fact, he's actually been a little bit better at home. 270 home ERA, 297 ERA on the road with opponents saying at 235 off of him. And then Logan Gilbert has really put it together as well. Giving up a little bit too much of the deep ball, 1.2 home runs per nine innings, but he's also faced off against the Houston Astros a lot. And his road ERA is actually significantly better than his home. 301 road ERA, 406 home ERA. Despite the fact that he's giving up a couple more deep flies at home, he has been able to do a good job being able to mow them down. I do think that Gilbert could do a nice job against the Rangers. And I think that the bullpen is going to push this one over the top for the Seattle Mariners. As I did wind up saying my total at a 6.8. I am looking under in this spot. And when it comes to Seattle, one to lay up to a minus 138 with them. 975, 976 on the banking board. It is the Minnesota Twins. They throw it face off against the LA Angels. As Tucker Davidson is going to be going for the Angels. And Chris Archer is on the bump for Minnesota. Minnesota between a minus 125 to a minus 130 favor. Between plus 110 and plus 118 is your price on the Angels. 8.5 to Nine is your total on the eight and a half over is minus one twenty five. The under is plus one five on the nine. The under is minus one twenty, and the over is even when it comes to Minnesota. I was one to lay up to a minus one twenty six with them, so we're pretty much at my max with regards to what I'm willing to lay. But I'm willing to lay right around a minus one twenty five with them. Chris Archer, not a guy that's going to go deep. He has won five innings or fewer in every one of his starts, and the big thing for him just being able to keep a little bit of command because he's been giving up in the pocket about four point four walks. Per nine innings, that is a little bit concerning, but it's been able to give up only about 1.1 home runs per nine innings. He's been able to be a relatively solid five inning guys whenever he's not going up against the Milwaukee Brewers. And he has been a little bit more shaky when he has been on the road rather than at home. He has got a 407 home ERA compared to a 396 ERA on the road. But you take a look at the last 60 days, that has been a case in which he's been much better when he has been at home. And he is going up against an Angels lineup that 
Entering into yesterday, they were just getting absolutely nothing whatsoever. Going Shohei Otani, 25 home runs, hitting at 250. That's very solid. And you do have Jared Walsh along Taylor Ward with a combined 29 home runs thus far this season. But for Ward, you take a look at what he's been able to do over the last 60 days. He is hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. You've seen Jared Walsh go straight down the toilet bowl. A man that over the last 60 days, he's been hitting right around a buck 75. Joy Dell sitting at 225. Josh Ross barely hitting above a 100. Mangolia Sierra, Max Dassey, you're able to throw in there. Kurt Suzuki hitting at 215 or lower as well. David Fletcher sits coming off the injured list. This actually looks solid, but it's a rough Angels lineup. And then for the Minnesota Twins, you don't necessarily have a lot of power outside of Brian Buxton. Buxton has been able to give you a home run every about 12 or so at bats with 27 bombs, only a 225, but has been solid in that category. But you do have Ode Palanco right around at 340 on base. He's been able to go deep 15 times. And then Jose Miranda, Carlos Correa, Gio Urshela, all these guys have been able to supply between 11 and 13 home runs. When it comes to Miranda, he's been able to hit well above a 300 over the last 35 days. Carlos Correa, Gio Urshela, hitting between about a 260 to a 270. Gilberto Sassino has been able to hit 275. Nick Gordon, when he's been out there, he's been able to move the line as well. For the Minnesota Twins, been a little bit touch and go in terms of their bullpen. They've been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Giovanni Morin, but still have guys. They're able to go out there and do a solid job. Ori Lopez, along with Michael Fulmer, both come in at the trade deadline with Lopez. He's been posting up a buck 72 ERA with 20 plus saves thus far this season. And you get Emilio Pagan, Caleb Theobar out there. They've got north of a four ERA, but better than what the Angels could say is Ryan Tabera, Aaron Loop, their seventh and eighth inning guys. Both of them posting up north of a 3-5 ERA. Been able to get some good innings out of Jimmy Harrogate, but when it comes to Tucker Davidson, I have no faith whatsoever that he's going to be able to go out there and deliver a solid start. First start against the Seattle Mariners since getting acquired. Gives up six runs over the course of four innings at the minor league bubble. He hasn't gotten a lot of swings and misses. He has been walking a lot of guys, and has translated at the big league level to giving up more than eight and a half walks Per nine innings thus far this season. Mike Myers is a little bit of a long guy, but he wanted getting used up a few days ago as well, so you got to figure that perhaps Tuki Tucson might wind up needing to piggyback as well, and he has been all over the place throughout his MLB career as well. So I do mind saying the Minnesota Twins minus 126 on the money line, so I'm going to be taking a look there. Do I end up saying Matola at an 8.7? Firstly, I'd rather have a 9 under just because the LA Angels, they've just shown no ability to be able to put the ball in place, so that's where we're going to be looking at a 9 under, along with the Minnesota Twins, 977-978 on the bank board. It is the New York Yankees that throw their face off against the Boston Red Sox. As it looks like it's going to be Michael Waka going for the Boston Red Sox at the time of this recording. It is off the board because the Red Sox, they're still deciding whether or not it is going to be Mr. Waka and and it is Jameis Tadion who's going to be on the bump for the New York Yankees. I've got my handicap for this game, figuring that it is going to be Walker versus Tyon and set the Yankees minus 142 favorites and a total of 9.1, which means a 9 or less. I'm looking at an over 9.5 for higher to the under for Jameis and Tyon. He has been money for the Yankees all season long, an 11-2 record, and despite the fact that he's had some relatively rough starts recently, the team has still been able to win for him as they're 4-1 in his last five starts and Overall this season, I believe that they have been as sterling as anyone, as 17-5 and is the record when he does wind up taking the mound this season. Now for Jamison Tyon, he does need to rein it in a little bit more on the road, 439. Rodier, he gave it up 10 home runs in 53 and a third innings. His strikeouts per nine rate when he's on the road is hovering in the neighborhood of seven. Now, what Tyon does a very good job of, not allowing walks, right around 1.7 walks per nine innings, and he has faced off against the Red Sox twice, giving up seven runs in 11 innings, so they're going to need a little bit more there. Meanwhile, for Michael Waka, 
if he does wind up making the start, it'll be his first since really June 28th. So it has been a while for him, but when he's been out there, he's been very solid. A 269 ERA, including a buck 39 ERA at home. A little bit of a small sample size. Six starts, 32 and a third innings overall, but he has been giving up at home fewer than three walks per nine innings, three bombs in those 32 and a third innings with a 191 opponent's batting average. So he's only been able to get in the pocket of about six half strikeouts per nine innings. I do think that that's going to be going northward, especially when you face off against a New York Yankees team that they've got all this firepower. As Aaron Judge entering into yesterday, 46 home runs. You've got Anthony Rizzo back, 27 bombs. And then on top of that, Jose Trevino, DJ Turner, Up LeMayu, Josh Donaldson, all these guys have been able to give you double digit amount of bombs. LeMayu, north of a 380 on base. Jose Trevino's hitting a 265. Isaiah Canerfa hitting a 265. Gloria Bertora, 16 bombs, hitting a 250. And then for the Boston Red Sox, a pair of guys from Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts that have been able to above a throw. Devers is really the lone guy that has been able to deliver consistent power, though, as he's been able to slug out 24 home runs. J.D. Martinez had a very good day on Friday for Boston, but over the last 45 days, he's been hanging below a buck 75. We got Tommy Pham with 14 home runs. He brings a little bit of power above for the Boston Red Sox. Bullpen has been all sorts of shaky. John Schreiber has been able to supply a sub-2 ERA, but they're picking up Jurisich Familia. He is Spanish for blown save. That is not what you want for this team. Darwin's and Hernandez has an ERA that's literally right around 20. Ryan Brazier, Matt Barnes, north of a 5 ERA. Tanner Uck, whenever he's been out there, has been relatively solid, but they're going to be without him in this game as well. So that's an issue. And for the New York Yankees, Clay Holmes has done north of five ERA over the last three days. That's a little bit of an issue. Lucas Lukey has been solid, though. He, Wandy Peralta, both of these guys have been able to supply a sub-three ERA all season long. And Roldis Chapman starting to find himself a little bit as well. Albert Abreu also has a sub-three ERA. So if we do wind up getting Tyon versus Michael Waka, making the Yankees minus 142 on the money line. We need at least a plus 125 to take a look at that run line. And nine or less looking over nine and a half prior to the under. And we wrap things up with my DK Nation pick. 979-980 on the bang board. The Kansas City Royals going to be playing those to the LA Dodgers. As Tyler Anderson is going to be going for the Dodgers. And you've got Brady Singer open to make the Dodgers sing the blues for the Royals. Royals are finding themselves as underdogs. No shocker here. Anywhere between plus $2 and plus $2.10. Meanwhile, anywhere between minus $2.25 and minus $2.40 is your price on the Dodgers sign is your total over and under are both at minus 110. And the DK Nation pick going to be centered around the total. Set it at a 7.7. Brady Singer, since getting recalled from the minor leaks a little bit earlier this season, he has been able to do a relatively supreme job for this bunch. And speaking of doing relatively supreme jobs, how about with Tyler Anderson? has been able to do this season for the Dodgers, has come out of nowhere, and he has been a master of command, giving up fewer than two walks per nine innings. He's got a sub-three ERA, wound up being a part of a shutout effort against the Colorado Rockies at Coors Field a few weeks ago as well. This guy has been nothing short of amazing for the LA Dodgers, and really, when it comes to Tyler Anderson, what has been impressive about him is that his game has been able to travel from home to road as well. He's got a relatively equal ERA when he has been in both environments. Meanwhile, you do take a look at Brady Singer, and the big thing for him has been he has been able to reduce on the walks as well. As he has given up fewer than two and a half walks per nine innings since he has been recalled. And for Singer, he is backed up by a relatively bad bullpen as Josh Shamon. He's been posting up right around 450 ERA. Joe Pions, he has seen a rise in his ERA. Amir Garrett has been a little bit better recently, but he still has been given the team north of a 4-5 ERA as well. But 366 fielding independent for Brady Singer. And it has been a relatively impressive run for him as well as... Like I mentioned, he wound up having a relatively bad start. 
to begin the season. But you take a look at what he's been able to do really ever since the beginning of the month of July. And it has been relatively impressive. Last seven starts, he has a 245 ERA in that time span, giving up four home runs over the course of 44 innings. And he's backed up by a lineup that has been able to do some things. Vinny Pasquintino has been able to hit about a 285 for this bunch. Over the last 30 days, he's been able to do a good job of being able to put back to ball as well. You've been able to have Bobby Witt Jr. give you 15 home runs. He's been someone that's been able to hit a little bit above a 250 as well. And then you do have Salvador Perez. He's not been able to hit for average. He's been able to do a solid job of being able to go yard. Nick Prado needs to pick it up in terms of his batting average. Kyle Isabel as well. So you do have a couple albatrosses, although I will say MJ Melendez. He's been able to go D five times over the last two weeks for this bunch as well. And then you do take a look at the LA Dodgers and Mookie Betts. 25 plus home runs hitting at 270. That has been rock solid for this team. You go a little bit further down the line and you've really been able to have good production out of Gavin Lux, who's been able to hit just below a 300 is on base. Has been solid, but you do have Austin Barnes, Cody Bellinger, Max Muncie all hitting a 220 or lower. Trey Thompson has actually been able to do some very good things for the team. I don't know if that's going to last, obviously. We know that Trey Turner along with Freddie Freeman, they are mainstays. Both of these guys have been able to slug out 15 plus home runs. Both of these guys have been able to do a nice job, but for the LA Dodgers entering into Saturday, they had allowed three runs or fewer, and I believe it was 19 out of their last 25 games. They have really been locking down. They've got the top open ERA in the National League, guys. Yancy Almonte currently unavailable for the scene, but along with that, you do have someone in Caleb Ferguson who is not allowed to earn a run really ever since he wound up being brought off of the injured list. We've had Evan Phillips provide a sub-2 ERA. Alex Vecia right around 3 ERA. Craig Kimbrell has not been too terrific for this bunch, to say the least, but you have been able to get some very good bullpen pitching overall from this team, and I do think that it is a case in which the Royals are going to be able to get a great start out of Brady Singer to be able to reduce on the amount of bullpen pitching they're going to have there. As a matter of fact, Singer, we may recall, he had the seven scoreless innings against the New York Yankees a few weeks ago, so he has proven that he's able to do it against good competition. So the DK Nation pick is going to be on the under in the spot. Set my total at a 7.7. And when it comes to this situation, as long as I'm able to get north of plus 202, and right now, seeing as high as plus 210 out there, want to take a shot on the Royals with a plus price. And that'll wrap things up for the Sunday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. Big thanks to Lauren Campbell of Nesson for joining me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune in. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one or two ways we offer this. And first one is my Twitter timeline at June underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters M, they mean does not matter. As per usual, please just send these into the timeline. The other way, it is via an Apple Podcast review. If you're at this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. So I have that five star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening.